This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is T. Watts and PR on Monday, January the 27th, 2020. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined alongside by site publisher, Mr. Tim Watts. And Tim, what a weekend it was, my man. Uh, It seemed like we were going to go into the weekend really recruiting heavy, especially from the Alabama perspective, trying to put the finishing touches on this 2020 recruiting class for Nick Saban and his staff. Uh, We thought perhaps we would get into some hoops a good bit from the Alabama perspective the Crimson Tide hosting K-State and that SEC Big 12 Challenge matchup at Coleman Coliseum on Saturday evening. But then as the day progressed on Sunday, news of the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, just 13 years old, and seven other victims of a helicopter crash there in the Los Angeles area, uh, kind of overtook everything there, Tim. And talked with Charlie Potter on BOL Daybreak earlier today about you know how it resonated with the Alabama football program in a sense because Kobe had just been here in Tuscaloosa about a year and a half ago to address the Alabama football team to sit down with Nick Saban in his office and have a nice chat uh, but man just on the sports level the 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 the, the country uh, the United States type level worldwide even uh, the news of Kobe Bryant's passing, I think hit people uh, in, in different ways too, in, in terms of how they perceived this all-time great on the basketball court. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at it, and it was the time is just awful, and the situation, everything is wrong with it. You know, and I haven't really dealt with anything in my life like this. Make you know, Princess Diana was close. You know, that was a that was such a shocker that you know that that sort of hit everybody. I mean, with Kobe, they had just talked about Kobe because LeBron had passed him as all-time scorer as a third all-time scorer mm-hmm. uh, the night before. So that was already a big deal. People were talking about Kobe and Kobe was in the limelight more than he's been in recent years. As far as I could tell, especially with his daughter, which, you know, to me is the hardest part to deal with is that his daughter was going to an AAU basketball game and she passed. And I mean, I'm a, I know, I know that hits home, you know, and I told a lot of my friends that are like me and you, Travis, where, we have kids who played sports and you don't have to play, you know, your kid doesn't have to play sports at the, you know, at the highest level. If you've thrown your kid baseballs or rebounded for them or, you know, had your, you know, if you chased a ball, your kid threw over your head by 50 feet. I mean, you sort of understand what that's like. So to know they were going to a game and, and, you know, probably the thing that pissed me off the most was just how, how wrong the information was about this situation. I mean, we had people reporting that, all four, you know, all four of his daughters were in the plane and people were saying, no, my sources say no kids were in the plane. I mean, the whole thing was just, I mean, it was a little bit overwhelming, to be honest with you. You know, and TMZ, because it is so heavy on celebrity news uh, and it sort of has this re- reputation of being national inquirish, I guess you could say, 
or the globe or whatever the 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 the, the, the outlet of choice uh, that has been litigated pretty heavily in the past uh, is concerned. TMZ though, when it typically comes to these type of instances, that's not the the, the outlet you want to see reporting it because to be fair to TMZ, they are typically on this type of stuff. Now, you know, where the issues came in was, and where it became even more and more tragic as the day unfolded, not just from the perspective of the Bryant family, but certainly multiple families that ended up being uh, impacted tremendously by this, by this event. Uh, you're right. Kind of, uh, you saw a report from, I guess, ABC that, 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 uh, it sort of hinted at the possibility of all four daughters being on. Didn't exactly report it. Didn't exactly uh, keep that to themselves. And uh, it goes back to the old issue that you have in journalism. And it's, it's something we have to balance. I don't know if people understand that enough in what we do at Bama online, Tim, uh, you know, making sure you're right more so we than making to, sure you're first. To be clear, we want to be first. I've said this a million times. We always want to be first. Um, but more importantly, we want to be right. I mean, you and I have been doing this 20 years, and we've had a reputation of not, you know, being thorough and being good and being correct and following the story. And I think everybody should be their aim. Why we're, I tell you, one thing we're never, ever in a hurry is to rush and break bad news. A rumor we've heard about an injury, a rumor we've heard about an arrest, a rumor we've heard about a transfer. There's no need to rush. That's a time to be thorough. And yesterday, I was ashamed for some of those people. I hope some of those people had trouble sleeping, their sources. How do you have a source say no no children were on the plane and there was one? Who the who the hell is your source? And why are and you know what? The facts you're deleting this stuff the world can see tells me you rushed it. Do the right thing in that situation. And we're not talking about a breaking news for who the Lakers signed in free agency where you say the Lakers are expected to sign this player, the yeah. you know Angelo Russell. So you're talking about people that are alive and and and, and I mean the, the the you know the wife. My God, she was probably getting a million messages and texts sent to her like the rest of us were from people reporting stuff. She, I mean, I just can't yeah. imagine. As that's a where TMZ got justifiably ripped yesterday by city officials, I believe, in LA, was that next of kin hadn't even had the opportunity to be properly notified about this situation. And it was already all over the internet, all over your social media timeline. Um, agreed. Uh, and, and, and you said it, I think what's the rush to be first on. And, and I get it. You, you, your, your job is to report the news, good, bad, and different. I understand that that's part of the job, but in, in, in such sensitive type, cases like this one i don't know why anybody would be hell-bent on being first at no, the expense they, of being accurate and I, in this particular speaking, type of were, instance i don't get that and they were speaking in absolutes which is almost rule number one when you're dealing with what you know on the board we laugh about as a fluid situation they were saying absolutely my sources say this and yeah. your sources were wrong you're full of crap you didn't even say that's possible or anything in a lot of situations they were erasing it. They were deleting it. These are supposedly major news people. I mean, they should have their ass fired is what they should. This is not a breaking news, like I said, about a free agent where the Lakers are going to sign D'Angelo Russell. Oh, but the last minute, because they could have expected to sign him. 
and he could have ended up at Golden State because they offered a better deal. We know that's that's the truth. We're not holding him to the fire. But to say that 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 back and forth with the the number of people who were on the plane ended up being was it nine? Yeah, nine they, total. Nine, nine, and the, you know we were stuck on five. Then somebody had six. Then they had you know four kids, three kids, one kid. I mean, he's just a mess, man. I just you know overall, I just you know I hope I hope something was learned here. I don't know if it was. The, to me, the biggest thing was the daughter. It's the most heartbreaking. It's the most. Yeah. It's hardest for me to wrap my brain around that. And you know, as a parent, and I get it. I get we all felt something. So obviously, you know, you know, you know, hats off to the you know the way the NBA players. You know, they're they are a band of brothers. They handled it well. Um, you know, again, and false reporting. Somebody should they have played yesterday afternoon after I, hearing I, about this? Do you think? I think they had to, and especially in certain situations. I mean, you had like. Houston and Denver, I think, were like an hour from uh, tip-off. I mean, that's a lot of time. Not to sound selfish, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of New travel. Orleans was kind of in that spot yesterday, too. That's what I'm saying. You sort of, And also, I think, I thought there was great moments yesterday in the NBA. Taking a 24-second violation, taking an 8-second violation. Yeah. People were wearing Kobe's shoes, wearing Kobe's numbers. There was a lot of ways that guys – who wouldn't have had any other way if they didn't play to express their their sorrow? They got a chance because the NBA played, in my opinion. I think they should have played. If you'd have asked me before the games, I probably would have said no. But seeing what all happened during the day, I mean, I saw Tyson Chandler. He's a grown ass man. He's not a kid who grew up watching Kobe on YouTube. He's a grown man sitting on the bench, crying his eyes out during the game. Very emotional. Very emotional. So There were certainly logistics involved. I can tell you, we knew people from Tuscaloosa that had made the trip down to New Orleans for the right. Pelicans game. Right. So th- there's obviously that to consider. And, and I cringe when I hear people say things like, well, that's what Kobe would have wanted or that's what so-and-so, as if they have any clue as to who these people really are. But I, I do think, in a sense – with Kobe and in that Mamba mentality and all those type of things, uh, Kobe probably would have wanted the games to be played. Oh, yesterday. I, agree. I agree from that. I mean, I think, yeah, I think absolutely. I think absolutely. He wanted to play. I find it kind of odd that Kobe Bryant's a notoriously private person. And yet 10 billion people have these one-on-one stories where they were, they, they had the most heartfelt moment. With Kobe Bryant, all on Twitter, by the way. I felt that was kind of odd. Um, but the ones that have meant the most to me were the ones seeing, like, you know, that the AAU dad who said Kobe was at a game. I read some tweet. The AAU dad said Kobe was at a game and sort of coached up his daughter, I think, on the sideline when he saw her and told her she had a big future. Those are the ones that probably got me the most, you know. A lot of people – Oh, that's – Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the ones that hit me as a dad. So, yeah, I mean, it, it hit me. It hit me far more on the parental level, Tim, than oh, it yeah, did. It, this it, is it, a five time. This is a five time NBA champion. This is a 15 time all NBA player or 12 time all defensive player uh, or a guy that off the court had issues. I mean, let's yeah. we, we can't discount that. He, he had I some think, issues 15, 20 years I ago. Really but as a parent, it impacted me. Yeah, I really think for a lot of us, and I'll I'll quit talking about this. I'll get emotional, but I really think for a lot of us, it, it was realizing that life and life is so fragile and, and and messed up. You know what I mean? 
it sort of hits you that, you know, crap, if this can happen to Kobe, it can happen to me. I mean, that's sort of, I think selfishly, I think that's a lot of, a lot of what hit us the most. So, you know, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting there yesterday after, yeah, hats off to the, yeah, had some hard Coleman Coliseum yesterday with our youngest daughter watching a women's basketball game. And here comes the, the meme of Kobe and Gigi at a basketball game talking basketball while I'm sitting right next to my daughter talking basketball at a basketball game. And I, and I have that ability to still do that. And that goes back to what you just said. It's precious, man. The opportunity just to do that on a daily basis. We, 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 we forget that sometimes. Uh, And sadly uh, perspective is often provided to us in, 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 in moments of tragedy. Um, like this one. Uh, Tim, we need to, I guess, get into some other issues here on T. Watts and TR on this Monday uh, from a recruiting perspective for Alabama football. Uh, a couple of visitors from really different sort of corners uh, of the recruiting process. A grad transfer in Carl Tucker from North Carolina on campus, previously of UNC. Um, you've got Ennis Rakestraw, a high school corner that is still sort of in the mix for a spot, I guess, in this 2020 Alabama class. And then a commitment in Damian George, uh, the big offensive lineman from the Houston, Texas area. Tim, from what you've gathered from the weekend, did, did kind of everything go according to plan? And maybe what's some of the, the aftermath to come from, from this weekend? Yeah, you know, Alabama sort of cruised through this class. And I know I know to some degree, you know, we've talked about it, sort of maybe it's kind of boring um, without the storylines there, their class has been really good, really thorough and really put together this year, saved a lot of the drama. Um, but I think this is exactly what the Alabama staff wanted. They're down to making a couple of tough decisions. You always have to make at the end of the class. The, uh, you know, they had Damian George, you know, this was a guy, Damian George is a North shore offensive lineman who committed in the summer. Now everybody thought Alabama took Damian George to get Zach Evans. We said on BOL instantly, that's not the case. Alabama loves Damian George. He's almost a, he's sort of a Orlando Bloom type. This is a monster, and I mean a monster of a man. I mean, you can get your steps in trying to go around him to get to the quarterback. I mean, you can get your, you can get your cardio in. This is a big guy, went to the All-Star Games and really did a good job. He was going against Jordan Birch, who's a top 10 defender, a, uh, you know, one of the elite defensive linemen from South Carolina. He did a great job. He did a fantastic job. He's got long arms. He's a big kid, been really quiet with his recruitment, but everybody thought it was to get Zach Evans. And ironically, Alabama never didn't want Zach Evans, you know, after the, you know, after the summer, we've discussed this a few times. So Damian George is there for a visit and, um, he was big. The tight end, you know, the you know the the Tucker kid. He's a he's a guy. I think Alabama did a really good job. He's interesting because he's going to be a grad transfer from North Carolina, and he's not going to enroll till this summer, till June, I think. So there's not really anything to sign. There's not really anything. I mean, he can commit all he wants to, but he's still he's just going to show up in June and you know go to college, figure out what he wants. Now he's a guy. I watched his healthy film. As far as as far as tight end concerned, he's a nice little he'd be a nice little addition to the Alabama staff, in my opinion. And I think that's where, you know, right now he's leaning towards going. I think Alabama's in pretty good shape with him, Um, you know, barring something unexpected. I think he ends up in Tuscaloosa. So is he kind of like Landon Dickerson that way in terms of when he would show up and how that process would kind of work? That was kind of the way it worked with Landon last year, wasn't it? Right, right. He'll just show up. He's not going to sign me. Some of these guys. 
grads, you know, the grads can, you know, transfer at mid-year, depending on when they graduate. I think he's still got some stuff to finish off. Um, you know, but the thing about it is, you know, we talked about the tight end this year, and Alabama fans were really worried about the tight end, uh, at least on the round table. And the Alabama staff, you know, they didn't go after a ton of tight ends in this class. They really didn't. And the tight ends they went after – Eric Gilbert, for instance, he's not even a tight end in a lot of schemes. He's he's lined up outside wide. He's almost a big wide receiver. So that that was sort of a different different type of uh, a tight end. You know, they they pursued Darnell Washington, finishing the top five for him. But that guy could end up at an offensive tackle when all said and done. Big six seven kid could easily weigh three hundred pounds and um, that stuff. So Alabama didn't really prioritize a tight end in this class. But the Tucker guy is one that probably could come in and help and contribute in areas they need. And also they got Caden Clark, who, again, was injured, and um, he's probably going to be a year or two away from getting back to 100%. But he was exactly what Alabama wanted in this class from a guy that could block, from a guy that could catch a few passes too. So, um, yeah, overall, I mean, they had Enos Rakeshaw in. He's he's a uh, defensive back from Texas. Really interesting. You know, we talk about those late-season fines Alabama has. This is one – the only knock on Enos probably is he's a little in the lean department, probably in that 170 range, probably one in 185 or so. But, I, you know, I think the guy, he's a guy I like a lot. If you watch his film, he's quick twitch. He jumps routes. He wins against great competition. He's physical to be his size. Um, I think he's a, you know, he's a guy that could come in, wouldn't be needed to play right away. They got Ronald Jones, the Juco uh defensive back who's probably more ready to come in and play so you could you know you could sit him on the sideline let him eat a little bit and gain some weight but overall I think it was a good weekend yeah I think the Alabama running backs would like that Orlando Brown Jr. comparison for Damian George by the way because uh Orlando does a nice job for those Ravens and Mark Ingram in that run game especially uh up there in Baltimore and in Carl Tucker is he a kind of guy that could play more of that inline position at tight end, uh, Tim? Because that's where Alabama seems to be lacking the most. When you're using the Kendall Randolphs and the Chris Owens and guys like that as tight ends, as Alabama did during the course of the 2019 season, that sort of tells you that they, they still need that kind of guy to go along with Miller Forrestal, who can handle some of that. But it seems like Miller is more effective utilize like an Irv Smith off the ball, yeah. split out a little bit, move him around. Is that, is that what Tucker can bring to this mix potentially you think, Tim? A healthy Tucker. Yes. I think that is what he can bring. He's a thick kid. has got, got, got a little toughness to him. Um, yeah, that's what I, that's what I think with what, you know, you know, Forrestal people, he's an excellent receiving tight end. There's not a lot more you want to ask for in the guy that can receive. So I think in some situations they'd like to have that, offensive you know that tight end who could catch a pass but could also be like that sixth offensive lineman like you said to help run Irv Smith was great and he spoiled he spoiled us he really did his Alabama you know the Alabama offense he was fantastic he and Dale Hench just really complemented each other well at, in their skill at, sets right at, absolutely but also Irv was often open as well because everybody's trying to guard those <laughs> wide receivers and they're trying to get Najee or Josh Jacobs out of the back so um, obviously, Irv is Irv. I'm not taking anything away from him. He was a tremendous talent, but sort of a rarity, I think, what we're going to see overall. So what does this week consist of, at least to start the week? It's right back out on the road, I would guess, for Nick Saban and his staff. 
yeah, they'll be on the road this week. Saban will do his final in-homes. I mean, they still have big targets. Saban's supposed to go in with McKinley Jackson, a big in-home visit. He came off. He's the big defensive tackle from Loosedale, Mississippi. Um, he's basically down to Alabama, Texas A&M, and LSU. He visited LSU this weekend. Saban and staff go in-home on Thursday, which will be big, obviously, for Nick Saban. But also, Freddie Roach will be going in. Um, you know, Pete Golding, it'll be the whole the whole staff will be going in there. Personally, I think the Aggies are one to really watch here. Um, I think they've quietly, everybody's been focusing on this LSU-Alabama battle. I think uh, the Aggies are one to really keep an eye on there. So a lot of stuff happening. Alfred Collins, they still have a big, you know, he's a top 50 type, you know, maybe five-star caliber defensive tackle who uh, Alabama's definitely in the mix for. But, you know, I'll tell you this, and you know this, we got a guy 50-50 torn, in my opinion, with Alabama um, and Texas. And Texas is 30 minutes from home. So yeah. usually I give the home team the advantage there. But I will tell you this, this kid loves Alabama. His visit, he still talks about. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, he's 30 minutes from home. Can Alabama overcome that? And we're talking, you know, this isn't a Southern kid, really. Texas kid, he's 10 hours away. So I think that's the biggest battle Alabama's battling. But, I mean, this class, I mean, it's going to be fantastic. I said that early. If they didn't sign anybody in the late period, it would be a fantastic class. So whatever they get, it's basically just knocking down needs. Yeah, and already, I guess, uh, never too early to start looking ahead to 2021, 2022, maybe even 2023, because you've got a you got a junior day event coming up here in Tuscaloosa, too, right? Yeah, you know, now, you know, speaking of that, we had, you know, one of the nation's best uh, 2021s this week on unofficial visit. And the uh, um, Dylan Brooks, he's a defensive end outside linebacker jack linebacker type he's you know he's sort of that five-star kind of kid next year in alabama is going to be interesting there's some really good talented players in the state uh alabama you know hasn't really signed you know up until the last couple of classes hadn't signed as many in state and i've always said nick saban's going to sign the best players i don't think he's signing anyone just because they're from alabama or california or anywhere else i think you got to be the best player the best available uh, best player available and next year they're going to have some guys they're going to have a pretty good deep class of in-state prospects to to fight with and of course Auburn who's always prioritized the state will be fighting with them as well so it's going to be interesting from that standpoint shaping up to be a third straight exceptional crop of in-state prospects on the football front when you look ahead to the class of 2021 and uh should have a pretty good basketball game here next Saturday with Alabama, winners of four straight. The men's program under Nate Oates certainly taking some impressive strides here, Tim. Coming off a win over K-State on Saturday night at Coleman Coliseum wasn't its prettiest win of the season, but it was a close win. And Alabama showed the ability, even when not at its best, uh, to close out a Power 5 opponent in K-State. Uh, you'll have LSU midweek. Trenton Wadford, Tim, how about that matchup Wednesday yeah. night down in Baton Rouge? Uh, what could have been, uh, perhaps, if Trenton Wadford had chosen the home state Crimson Tide? He didn't. He's doing some nice things, as expected, uh, down there at LSU. So you'll have LSU midweek for this team. And then Arkansas back here at Coleman Coliseum on Saturday, kind of coinciding with that Junior Day event. Um, Got to continue to be excited, though, about what you're seeing from Nate Oates and this team. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, these last three games, they were not pretty in no. in some aspects. They weren't pretty at all. I mean, K 
Kansas State, do they have 22 offensive rebounds against Alabama? Is 22 that right? to 3 was 22. your deficit. That's unbelievable. Uh, Missouri, you know, you looked at Missouri, they were 31 of 31 on free throws, and Alabama had 25 turnovers against Vanderbilt, I believe. Yeah. So the thing I'll say is, despite all of that, they're 3-0. and And I can't think of a recent team. I can't think of a team yeah. in recent Alabama memory that would be 3-0 and under those circumstances. I can't even think of one that would be 2-1, to be honest. The fact that they went coast-to-coast coast against Vanderbilt were in good shape. You know, pretty much, you know, battled Kansas, you know, state of Missouri the whole time, but never really were in a big deficit. Tells you how well this team's coached. Now, they look a little tired to me. I think that that's affecting them. Um, some of those jump shots, some of the lazy turnovers. I think they're feeling themselves a little bit. They're having some confidence, which is good. And they're having some success, which is good. But I love this team. I mean, I how would Trenton, how would, what if here for you? If Trenton Wadford had chosen Alabama, what would you envision his impact being like, uh, especially in this Nate Oates kind of system where it's one in, four out, that type of uh, attack? Yeah, I think he's that guy that can play on the wing and get to the paint and to the rim and a little bit more depth inside. I mean, he's a big kid. I mean, he's a big, thick, solid kid. He's he's not afraid to get near the rim and, 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 and you know get near the bucket and post up, but also – he can do some nice things um, outside. Rebounding would have been nice. I mean, he's probably averaging seven or eight rebounds. Yeah. Passes a little bit. He really does a little bit of everything. You know, um, this is what I like about him. Big size. You know, fit. Would have. I think he'd have fit in great. You know, I hate to play that what if game, but you know, I. You know, it would have been interesting if Watford had had this year to watch at Alabama and been signing next year because now Nate Oates is really sort of showing what he can do. He would have had an extra year to establish that, which which you'll have with other kids. You have to, if you look at the old Alabama, look at this Alabama, this is a, you can see anybody knows basketball can see this is a different basketball program than it's been in the past. Has Alex Reese though, kind of been for Alabama this year, what Trendon Wadford might've been other than maybe rebounding. I think you said it Wadford. I think from that perspective, certainly from a rebounding standpoint would have, uh, helped uh, a, a team that in the post right now is working at a deficit, but you know Alex Reese has got some of that ability too at pretty much the same size. And you know whereas Wadford, as you said, can attack the paint off the dribble, we're seeing more of that from Alex Reese, who has primarily been kind of a spot up three point shooter at this point. Yeah, I mean he attacked. Uh, he one of the last two games I can remember. He tried to dunk on somebody's head straight <laughs> through the. I mean he took off from the free throw line. Yeah. He, he was he was way not the free throw line, but he was way out there. I mean, he, he absolutely he's gained a lot of confidence blocking a shot a game. I mean, this is a that you know he's a guy averaging you know probably ten points, handful of rebounds and blocking his shot. But you know stepping out hitting that three, feeling it, he feels it a little bit more. I can see that confidence growing in him. And um, you know he didn't he played up at Pelham not too far from me. You know I think that was you know maybe his you know maybe his. His reputation was a little bit too nice, and I think mm-hmm. he's getting a little bit, a little bit nastier now. And a little, and a little, yeah. Some of those, uh, some of those mean streets of Pelham are coming out in him, Tim. You know how that works in Pelham. It can get kind of rough over there, right? You know how we do it. <laughs> we do it in our mom's car. You got to be careful when you go to the country store in Pelham. Yeah, you don't know what you might run into. You know? I said, you know how we do it, but we do it in our mom's car, so. <laughs> Gotta be home by nine. Oh, Gotta be home yeah, I, mean, by nine. I mean, Dabo Sweeney cut his teeth on those mean streets over there. 
So you know there's some edge to it, you know. Same neighborhood as me. Yes, he did. Little old Pelham instead of little old Clemson over there for Dabo. Hey, uh, so Tim, we're we're kind of into some basketball talk here, and uh, not to circle back entirely to Kobe, but it did bring up an interesting topic potentially, and that you heard Magic Johnson once again in the, in the immediate time after the untimely passing to Kobe refer to Kobe as the greatest Laker of all time. I mean, Magic has been steadfast in that uh, designation. What What about you, Tim? Where, where do you see Kobe in that sort of pantheon of Laker greats? No, I think it's, it's just how you look at it. Like, are you talking anybody that wore a Laker uniform? Anybody. You know, are we including Will Chamberlain? You, you know, can go you back know. to the Minneapolis Lakers if you want to. I think George Mikan even might be, even be really in that discussion. Many people that didn't really wear that uniform at some point. I mean, obviously Kobe's in the discussion with Magic. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has to be in there. That's probably the big three because of the years they spent in the uniform for me. That sort of factors in. But hey, Skinny Shaq when he was in L.A. was a force <laughs> that nobody could reckon with nobody and i'm an old school guy i mean, i love the nba i love the old nba the 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 the, uh, the way they used to play i'm a huge elgin baylor guy i feel like that guy i was i mean i was reading his wikipedia page last night uh had was discussing with a friend and we were talking about how he played in a game where he was like enlisted in the service and could only play for the lakers on the weekend i mean wow. this guy was like in the service and then balling out on the weekend and and, uh, you know, he averaged third. I looked up, he averaged almost 14 rebounds a game in his career. Obviously, Kobe and Magic are probably the, the top two with Kareem back there. But you look at Shaq, you look at Wilt. I mean, there's so many guys nobody even talks about, you know, that, you know, you want to go old school. You know, Byron Scott, for instance, was one of my favorite players growing up. I think he had a terrific career. Don't think he gets James as Worthy. Was James a hell of a Laker. Was there anybody more beautiful on the break? Working with Magic on the break? I mean, are you yeah. serious? You'd have Michael Cooper on one wing. You yeah. got, you know, Worthy on the other wing, and Magic is pushing it down your throat. And you were going to get dunked on. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's when you just run back. Like, no, coach. <laughs> no, coach. I'm getting this break started. Man, you know? I hated those Lakers, Tim, because Dr. J was my guy. You know, Dr. J was my guy, Julius Irving. <laughs> and they kept the, – the, the, Magic and Larry Bird kept my guy from so much back then in the early to mid eighties. Although uh, we did get a sweep of the Lakers there. And uh, when we finally went out and uh, acquired the services of Moses Malone in 83 to go along with Dr. J uh, rest of the league didn't want any of that smoke, Tim. Yeah. I, oh yeah. Those, those old NBA stories kill me, but I mean, if we're voting, I mean, I would go, I'd probably go Kobe. I mean, he was very loyal. I mean, you saw his reaction yesterday. They were lined up at Staples and, I was seeing. Yeah. I saw a story where a guy, one of the one of the writers, I don't know who it was, went into a uh, uh, florist store to get purple and yellow flowers to take up to Staples. He was going to pay his respects, and the lady gave it to him for free in L.A. So yeah, um, yeah, I would go with Kobe. I think he had the biggest impact as a player. Um, you know, 80 plus points. You know, shooting free throws with the torn. You know, ACL. Everything he did. You know, was uh, was uh, Black Mamba, a great nickname. You know, Kobe just looked like transcended basketball, too, man. This was a pop culture icon. The shoes, everything. 
You know, the Nike Kobe, Association. Kobe sort of did it. Did You know, he's like the anti-Iverson. Like, Kobe made it okay to read poetry. You know what I mean? Kobe yeah. made it okay to Smart speak dude. Japanese and dress nice. And Kobe made a lot of things where I always felt like AI gave legitimacy to so many of these dudes in the NBA. Because nobody was keeping it real like AI was. And now everybody's keeping, you know what I'm saying? Everybody, I got two, sure. tattoos, I got two tattoos after seeing Allen Iverson. No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, he kept it real. Well, Kobe did the opposite. He made it okay to be into other things than just, you know, that, the you know, he took him out of a cliche and made it okay to speak Japanese and to, and to write poetry and to, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I would go Kobe there. I mean, although with the Lakers, such a history when I was looking at it. I mean, they the players that have been through that organization, I'm not a Laker fan, but that's a, it's, you know, it's, it's the Yankee of basketball. You know, with Kobe as a player, the thing is that it hits me when, when you start trying to rank all-time greats is 12-time all-defensive team member in 20 years uh, of NBA basketball. I mean, the 15-time all-NBA achievement is is enough on its own. The five championships are enough. Uh, But the fact that this dude was a 12-time all-defensive team member, uh, that that tells you about the all-around ability. See, we all go to our formative years when we do this, though. And for me, Dr. J, Julius Irving, that was my guy, you know, in those formative years. And, so Magic Johnson, Kareem, you know, that's kind of where it all started for me. But, you know, when you just look at the the achievements, the accomplishments lined up, it is hard to go against uh, against Kobe in, I think, in that regard. I, you know, I, I think one thing that's odd with the NBA is this. Uh, these guys have been played against each other so hard. I mean, we had so many people like jordan or you know jordan or, or kobe debate and it's so heated it's crazy to me and then lebron, now LeBron gets, yeah. you know lebron gets drug into it with kobe and you know the you know don't forget when lebron came to la these people were loyal, loyal to kobe they were like spray paint lebron's face and stuff you know what i mean yeah you know you know when he came there they were so loyal i've never really understood that obviously jordan you know you know, there's nothing to, you need to say about what a great player he was. But, I mean, I mean, Kobe Bryant was an unbelievable player. We were lucky to watch him. You know, Kobe Bryant, you know, uh, um, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Dr. J. There's a million players that we've been fortunate to watch in the uh, in the National Basketball Association. I don't get – I get the debate. I get the debate. I don't get the anger on why the heck y'all yeah. are fighting about Kobe and LeBron. Yeah, the, it's, the, it's the rarity, too, of the one-team guy. Because Michael wasn't a one-team guy. You know, Michael Jordan was not, you know, start to finish a bull. You know, people um, will argue with that. People will argue and they'll say that Joe Montana, They, we have a memory. Our brain is funny. They'll forget Joe Montana in the chief uniform. Joe, Joe Namath, Namath wasn't a, in wasn't a, a jet. Uniform. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people forget. OJ wasn't a Buffalo Bill forever. You know, you know uh, uh, um, Babe Ruth, you know, he was yeah. with the – who was he with? He was with somebody beside the Yankees. Was it, it was Boston? It was the curse of the Bambino. Oh, Boston. Well, it was yeah. Boston, the Yankees. But after the Yankees, he went somewhere where he was supposed to be a manager. I want to say Baltimore. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but people forget Jordan in that uh, that that Wizards uniform. I guarantee it. And you know, it was kind of a just a, a bizarre weekend, surreal in so many different ways. But you had Eli Manning on Friday to start the weekend with his formal retirement announcement as a one team guy with the New York giants. 
And then on Sunday, the passing of Kobe Bryant, who went wire to wire uh, with the L.A. Lakers. And again, just not something you see as frequently as you said. We like to sort of frame things in our mind romantically that have it that way. And more often than not, far more often than not, uh, that's not the case. Speaking of Eli Manning and some professional football, how many snaps of that Pro Bowl on Sunday did you watch, Tim? Did you, you know, did you get that on DVR? You know, when we were texting, I was thinking last night how ironic it was, but we, when you were texting, I'd seen nothing. I mean, obviously, I was working and, and helping some people with some stuff, and then the Kobe news, and uh, me, you know, me and the wife were doing some stuff around the house, so that occupied the day. I hadn't seen a play. I hadn't thought about it, nothing. <laughs> and then last night, I went in the room, and I was sort of winding down, and I was working. I turned the TV on. And the wife was asleep, so I had the TV on mute, and I couldn't take any more Kobe, especially on mute. I couldn't. Every channel was a, you know, you know, I was yeah. I was on mute, so I could see Jalen Rose talking about Kobe, but I couldn't hear it. So I flipped it to the NFL channel, and I did watch part of the first quarter. I saw Drew Brees with a great pass to to Golden Tate, and a lot of speculation. Um, it looked a little bit like a pickup game to me. I mean, it's sort of like that old. What was that old MTV basketball game where you used to have to rock and jock? What was that called? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, they the, had like celebrity, a, the goal celebrity would come basketball. down to the top, and you, you could throw it in there for 50 points or whatever. It sort of had that feel. They looked, I'll say this, they looked like they were having a great time. Um, they were laughing and fun. The uniforms looked good. But I still remember the year Lee Corso was on it. They had to <laughs> had to cut my boy's mic. He was cussing. You know, they were he was cussing like me at the DMV drivers uh the line to get my, my license renewed. Yeah. Um, so I'll never forget that. But, yeah, I mean, it was all right. That's, yeah, I don't know. I, I hate – I'll be honest. I'm scared to watch those things because I don't want to see somebody blow their knee under those circumstances. It'll just it'll just make me angry. So I tend not to watch those very often. Yeah, I didn't I didn't watch a single snap of the uh, Pro yeah, Bowl. Yeah. I, I watched maybe four snaps of the Senior Bowl on Saturday. I was happy for Jalen Hurts that he was able to finish up with that touchdown pass to Jawan Jennings, um, these all-star games in general, man, they have a hard time keeping me engaged. I know we're going to have the NBA version of it coming up here uh, in February. Uh, you know, we obviously have Major League Baseball that we're going to have that coming up. The Midsummer's Classic, they call that one in hardball. But, um, yeah, between college hoops, both men's and women's, and even Tiger Woods back on the PGA Tour over the weekend uh, out there in San Diego. I, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't see a play of the Pro Bowl on Sunday. And speaking of baseball, you, you getting the fever yet? You know, are we getting beyond all this Astro scandal and and uh, that type of coverage to to get your excitementometer? revved up for another major league baseball you know, season. for me I've, I've realized that my life and I'm, I'm sure other people mine is like a i don't have like a year i have like shifts you know and i go through the national signing day which is coming up but at the same time my sons start getting into baseball the varsity season they started practice today um i start getting into baseball when he starts playing baseball and he's been throwing a ball and hitting a ball but they actually get into that i have to start making plans for the season uh, as to travel for spring break tournaments and all that. I do. I start getting a little excited. Um, uh-huh. I'm one of those guys, you can't really taint me from liking a sport. You can't tell me everybody's juicing. If I like the Tour de France, I'm watching it. In fact, if they're all juicing, I even feel better about it. I just feel bad if there's one guy huffing and puffing up a mountain and he's not juicing. I always want to, you know, 
I want to pull him close and tell him, hey, get on the get on the juice. But, you know, I'm excited about baseball, all these signings. I still don't understand baseball in the sense of how they get paid. I don't know how the Yankees can give Garrett Cole a contract worth more than the Pirates and their entire roster. I don't understand why there's not like an equalizer like there is in most sports. And um, I don't understand why, you know, you know what I mean? I get small market, big market. I get the Yankees or the Yankees, but the Yankees shouldn't have three to one to spend over most clubs. So um, I respect respect the Yankees 100%, but I root against them. I root against I, the Yankees. I, I, yeah, I think there's a pretty strong sentiment. It, it, the Yankees have always been an either-or situation. You're either a Yankee or you're not. You know what I mean? And, and in some ways, it's, it's similar to Alabama football, especially right now. Even though, as you said, the playing field in college football, regardless of what some people will try to tell you, certainly at the Power 5 level, is a lot more even than it is, say, in Major League Baseball. Even with the luxury taxes and things like that, uh, that doesn't seem to to pre- pre- preclude preclude teams uh, in major markets from from doing things like you, you talked about with Garrett Cole and the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Braves guy, <clears throat> always have been, and I and you know I loved. I mean, when I grew up with the Braves, I don't think they were particularly successful. But I love the old Braves team. Dale Murphy, obviously, and then you had, you know, Phil Necro. You had so many personalities, you know. Uh, uh, they were on cable every night. You, that, you got to see them every that, night. That's what I tell people. They think Braves are a bandwagon team. and you know, That's the Cubs, what we had, bro. And we that's had what we Cubs. had. That's what I tell people. When you had cable, <laughs> you always had the Cubs. So I've right. seen more Cubs games than um, you know any other team beside the Braves growing up because I, you're right I was familiar with them you know going back to the Yankees I might not you know I might root against the organization for the most part but I, I love the Yankees players they've had some of the best players um, you know Rivera the closer is one of my favorite most dominant if you're talking about a dominant guy who could do just one thing who basically had one pitch one pitch a that guy amazes me he's yeah. telling what's coming. It was and, one pitch, and, but it was a 96-mile-an-hour cutter. It was you know, such that would, good. You know what I mean? That That's was devastating I, against left-handed or right-handed hitters. You know, we'll talk recruits sometimes, and somebody will say, oh, he only can do one thing. And I'll say, yeah, but he does it really well. Sometimes <laughs> one thing well, sometimes one thing is just friggin' good enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, Yankees, um, you know, looking for the Braves, young players. Uh, I'm hoping the Major League Baseball figures itself out. I mean, they've got to get – you know, they got an unsung hero, Mike Trout, who nobody talks about. You know, um, I don't think baseball been coming for Mike Trout on social media a little bit, too, though. Been what coming after he, Mike Trout. What he do now? I missed that. Well, something, you know, just it's just the undercurrent from from all this stuff with the Astros. You know how it is. One domino falls and uh, now everybody's got a story on everybody. You know what I mean? And right. um, so, you know. It's well, just it's just I, social media too these days as well. Yeah. Unfounded in most instances, but everybody's got something on everybody. I just think Major League Baseball. You know, like when when Stein took over the NBA, he made sure everybody knew about the NBA everywhere, yeah. everywhere. The NBA All Star Game went from um, I half sold out to the place to be for every celebrity in the world. I mean, everybody wants to be, most people watch that game. 
Most people yeah. watch that game. It's the worst game ever. You know, it's a 182 to 181, you know, game. I mean, it's great. You know what NBA fight. weekend has turned into? Remember what heavyweight championship fight weekends used to be like in Vegas? Yeah. They were this sort of three and four day spectacle. Yeah, three, day event, three night event. Yeah. That's what that's what the NBA All-Star baseball game has, has Baseball has to do that. And they have such. So many great stars, so many great talented people. Like, I mean, Mike Trout is 27, 28, whatever he is, and he's been in the top four in the MVP running for like eight straight years. You got great. But you know this, Mike Trout, Mike Trout, personality-wise, he's not out there, Tim. That's yeah, not Mike Trout true. either. It's true. A lot's on him. Yeah, I mean, Mike Trout likes his time away from it all. And, and I and look, I respect that about Mike Trout. Dude's there for that action. And, you know, that's just about it for him. And uh, he does it. He does it. Derek Jeter was kind of that way. It was just that Derek Jeter played for the biggest brand, perhaps, in all of sports, you know. And so whereas Jeter wasn't really out there. Now, he dated pretty prominently. I think we would agree. Yeah, but even in then his social pro- life, even then, but he privately, he quietly, dated, right. he wasn't you know? out there, totally out there with it. But if you look at it, you had. Like, look what Zion's doing to the NBA. Now, he yeah. is a freak. I watch him every game so far. Um, it's just absurd how good Zion Williamson's going to be uh, in a league full of guys that are used to it. You know, I, I got this stat. Zion has missed 12 total shots this year. The Pelicans have rebounded eight of them. Zion himself has grabbed six of his misses. I mean, that yeah. alone tells you how impactful it is. But the Braves had that guy in a Kuna. They yeah. had the 19-year-old freaky phenom, and what are we worried about with him? Whether he flipped his bat when he was down 6-3. to three. Who gives yeah. a crap? Nobody says Zion dunked down 18 points. Baseball, yeah. you know what's funny? Baseball if, has a, uh, as long baseball. as Acuna will run out ground balls and, yeah, that and, is, that and get after it defensively, he'll be okay. I, the bat flip thing, is it's here. Whether you like it or not, that's I – mean, that, that, and baseball does need that type of, you know. Yeah, it's okay. They focus. Baseball always talks about their unwritten rules. And now I know why. Because half of them are illegal. <laughs> they can't write. Half of the crap they do is illegal. They need to open it up, turn some of these guys loose. There's some great players. Well, it's the old the old code of baseball, too. Well, you got too, Bryce Harper, like, promote. I mean, think, I think they did a top 100 athletes in the world, and Bryce Harper was 99th or something last year. And Bryce Harper's known because Bryce Harper flips his helmet off when he runs. Bryce Harper's promoting himself. Nobody's helping him, you know, as far as like the major league baseball should really, really look at, look how they want to address the, you know, the empty seats. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean I'm excited about baseball. It's just that I'm excited about October baseball and it's January 27th. So that I'm that fan. You're probably talking about, you know, that hey, they need to get more engaged or get back. There is. There's they just like basketball. When you get to the playoffs, it's a different game during the season. So yeah. I get that. I get that mentality. So I'm with you there. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. You ready to dive into the mailbox, Tim? You ready to uh, venture into there on this T-Watts and TR on a Monday, January the 27th, 2020? Let's, uh, let's get after it. Um, we'll start with Ronnie Bismuth on the roundtable who asked, what percentage would you put on Bama basketball making the NCAA tournament? And, Tim, when you look at some of the metrics – like net rankings and Ken Palm and all the statistical type of data, Alabama right now looks to be in good shape. Now, look, you know, you've got a stretch coming up, as we uh, sort of alluded to earlier in the podcast, at LSU on Wednesday, uh, Arkansas on Saturday here in Tuscaloosa. Then midweek next week, Tennessee comes to town. Uh, you get a road game after that against a Georgia team that is one in five in the league right now. So, when you talk about these next four games, if you take care of business of the home games, which won't be easy, by the way, and you can get a road win at Georgia and say you don't get it done at LSU on Wednesday, you get through these next three games, Tim, at three and one, these next four games at three and one, you're 15 and eight in that scenario. I would say the percentages are pretty good that, that Alabama yeah. uh, makes the NCAA tournament. I would agree with that. There's so many, you know, so many different scenarios. The one thing for me, I think they have to walk in. They really got to avoid losing a game they 100% shouldn't lose. I think that's the biggest thing. You don't want to lose, like you said, even at Georgia. You know, you want to win that game. Like at Vanderbilt, you got to handle your business like you did at Vanderbilt. Um, I think your resume is really good. I think when they look at what Alabama's done and what Alabama's tried to do, I think they're going to get a lot of – a lot of people. Um, I think Nate Oates' reputation will help, and they're making all these decisions as well. I think the biggest thing here is just to win the ones you got to win, and try to sneak, you know, sneak, you know, sneak a win or two in extra somewhere else. But I would say, I, if I had to bet, I'm not giving a percentage. I suck at percentages, but I would say Alabama makes the NCAA tournament right now. If I had to choose, yeah, I would say right now. Uh, things look very good, but there is there are definitely bigger challenges coming. And I think you hit on a key point. You got to take care of opportunities that that you should be able to handle. Vanderbilt was certainly one of those on the road. Saturday at home against K State was one of those. And you have to do that because you let a couple of those opportunities in the non-conference portion of the schedule get away from you. Penn at home, Iowa State on a neutral court. 
um, Rhode Island on the road, Penn State, where you had a chance there to close one out and you didn't. That makes uh, that makes these games uh, where you do have those same type of opportunities all the more important. Um, let's see what else we have here. Uh, Weedline asks, Tim, is there any stopping the Clemson recruiting train? Sound like it was another big weekend for Dabo. Looking ahead to the class of 2021, I know you've had some thoughts on this in the past and kind of how the, the winds change quickly, don't they, on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I think – I think I don't know. The answer to me is no. I don't think there's anything going to slow down Clemson. They're having a lot of success. <clears throat> um, I think they've got a formula that works for the type of kid they want to get on campus, and I think they get it. Yesterday you got Corey Foreman, a defensive lineman from California, who's uh, in the discussion, if not number one in the class – He's in the discussion for the 2021 class. Um, I think Clemson's going to do well in the recruiting trail, and it doesn't surprise me. <clears throat> Dabo's a great recruiter. Clemson has a lot of success. They're putting guys in the NFL. They're in the playoffs every year. What Alabama fans need to realize is that doesn't necessarily bear a lot of have a lot of bearing on Alabama. Clemson and and Alabama aren't really butting heads a lot on a lot of players. So there's always going to be competition. For, for top recruits, you know, there's always a boogeyman, you know, whether it be USC or LSU. It was Georgia two years ago. It's Clemson now. I mean, there's a lot of good recruiters. There's a lot of good players in the country. If Alabama could choose the top 25 players in the country, one through 25, uh, as far as needs, the other teams would still fill in and have a great class at number two. So, um, yeah, I don't think, no, I've seen nothing to make me think Clemson will not be successful in the future. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's interesting because you hear the continuity angle brought up with Clemson so much in regards to that staff that Dabo's been able to keep together. For the most part, Jeff Scott, uh, one of his top offensive assistants, has left to take over as the head coach at South Florida. But Todd Bates coaching that defensive line, the former Alabama defensive lineman. Um, it, it, is there something to that when you look at especially what Clemson seems to be doing up front on defense of late uh, from that angle of, of continuity, or is it overblown knowing that Alabama has sort of been a revolving door at the position? Where do you sort of fall on that, that narrative, Tim, when it comes to, to continuity with your staff? No, I think they capitalized. Uh, I definitely think that helps, of course. Um, you know, having a guy, because I mean, and you know, the biggest thing is to have a guy where, you know, Todd Bates, for instance, he's probably getting to know these guys, Corey Foreman or whoever, probably as freshman, as soon as he can, the minute he can have contact with them, coming to camp or whatever the situation may be. So he's able to build that relationship. When you have those guys flipping over, you don't have that, obviously, with Alabama, on the, you know, the fourth defensive line coach in four years. You don't have that. But at the same time, the defensive line coach isn't the one usually recruiting these guys primarily. You have, you know, you look at Alfred Collins, for instance. He's been recruited the whole year by Jeff Collins and Carl Scott. You know, you look at uh, McKinley Jackson. He's been recruited by Pete Golding this entire year. So even though the defensive line class left, Alabama still had strong connections with these kids. Now, obviously, it helps to have that guy in your in your back pocket, in your corner. So I'm certainly not saying that. But it's not the end-all, be-all. It's just dependent. It's rare to see a team turn all their position over to the position coach. You know, and Georgia did it. You know, we mentioned this. Georgia did that with Sam Pittman. And when Pittman left, it got it got a little tricky. 
you know, for Georgia. You know, they had some guys that were wavering for a minute because he had the best relationship. You don't see that very often for that very reason because, you know, you want to think you're recruiting a kid to the university. It's not just a coach. And it's interesting because while Alabama has had, obviously, a pretty consistent change there at the defensive line position, you look at that defensive line class from 2019, the six guys that were a part of that group, five of which are still a part of the program. You look at Tim Smith coming in. You look at the potential for McKinley Jackson. I mean, if you put those two guys uh, specifically with the five guys from last year, you know, you're not going to have a bad situation in your own right moving forward if you're Alabama. So uh, there are a couple of different ways to sort of view that, but certainly Clemson uh, continues to do some very big things on the recruiting trail. Uh, Tim, we have a question here from Saban18 who says, I doubt this one gets mentioned, maybe taboo, and I'm not asking for program recruits slash recruits names, but do you guys ever run into improper improperties? on the recruiting trail. We always hear of players getting paid, getting cars, et cetera. Does that really happen all that much? Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I've never, I mean, 20 years, I've never, I don't get into that to be honest with you. I don't, I don't work for the NCAA. Um, I don't ask any questions that lead down that path for anybody. I mean, it's just not, it's just not something I could, you know, I could, I, it's not something I personally, address now i've seen kids driving a nice car um i'm not, not naive enough to think that his parents couldn't have bought that car so um yeah. I'm, I'm not quite like these people in social media you know where they see a kid driving an eighteen thousand dollar dodge charger twenty one thousand and think you got to be a millionaire to buy it i'm not quite that dumb uh when it comes to that and i'm not going to discredit most parents you know, that they try to get their, their kid a car and a nice car, a safe car. So that's not very unusual. Um, so, no, I don't really run across it. I mean, I've seen, you know, mostly this, it would be something small. I mean, I've covered AAU basketball and everything else, but I've never seen a, you know, a huge paper sack being exchanged or, you know, a coach giving a kid a backpack. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't expect to see it or hear about it to begin with if it did happen. I can't speak to how often it happens. Um, that That's more of a thing that, was during the straight renegade days you almost have to go back to the 80s into the 90s and what i would suggest to save in 18 a couple of things read the book the courting of marcus dupree um that that goes back to the uh, recruitment of uh you probably heard of marcus dupree there's been sort of a i guess uh, a 30 for 30 done on marcus who was just an incredible prospect coming out of philadelphia Mississippi back around, I guess, 1980 or so. It's been 40 years, I guess, uh, since Marcus Dupree came out of Philadelphia High School. But Willie Morris wrote the book, The Courting of Marcus Dupree. It's outstanding. Pony Excess, the 30 for 30, which documents just the brazen approach of the SMU program that led to it ultimately receiving the death penalty in the mid eighties. Yeah, that's, that's kind of more the era we're talking about, Tim. I I think as much as anything these days in basketball, it's been about shoe companies as, as we've seen here in this federal investigation, the last couple of years, and also agents and financial advisors um, have taken over more as, as sort of the providers for players. There's there's often a misconception. I mean, an overzealous booster 
doesn't mean a coaching, you know, you know, right. American University coaching staff's cheating. That just can be an American or whatever. He could, you could have a booster that's overzealous who lives, I mean, who lives in the same area as a kid. And you know, let's be honest. If you have seen the movie Friday Night, you know, what's what is that? Friday Night Lights. Have you seen Friday the, Night Lights? You know, yeah. Seen the TV show? There's a thousand percent guys. Grown men who want to be around those big name kids sure. who wants to be about the big man on campus. That's got nothing to do with the head football coach at a university. That's got everything with him trying to, you know, be close to that program and have boosters and all that stuff. So, yeah, definitely different levels. I don't think, yeah, I think the old school, the Brian Bosworth getting paid to sit in a Corvette and watch an old rig, <laughs> you know, all that, you know, all that old school stuff is great. I don't know. It's It'd be hard to think anybody could be that bold. And just not give a you know. It, it just shows you though crap. how much how much it's major college sports have progressed in terms of big business because it's not the good old boy booster as much anymore that's on that side of it. These are major figures in financial advising, major figures in sports agencies, um, shoe companies. I mean, we're talking about corporations that have been identified as being uh, a participant in, in illegal activities from, from that perspective. So um, it kind of tells you too, kind of shows you the way it's, it's just advanced as a, as a huge business um, college athletics, as we know it these days. Hey, uh, let's get back into the mailbag here on a Monday edition of T Watts and TR uh, boo AU he asked along the Kobe storyline, because as we talked about earlier in the podcast, Kobe was here in Tuscaloosa in the summer of 2018 to address the the Alabama football team. Uh, Coach Saban has brought in a lot of motivational speakers over the years to speak to the team. In your opinion, who have been some of the better ones and why? I'll give you one right off the top of my head, Tim, and I'm I'm thinking you're aware of this guy, Chris Heron, the former college basketball player. Uh, who went on to play in the NBA but struggled mightily with drug addiction, um, has since, it, it appears anyway, to have you know kind of put things back together. And now he, he is very prominent on that circuit. And if you go to YouTube and you look up Chris Heron and search him, you can probably find some of his work. Uh, but he stands out to me, a guy that played uh, college basketball at UNLV, among other places, before moving on to the NBA. Fresno State, I remember him really. Yeah. The guy, um, you know what? Yeah, the thing I like about, You're right. The thing, the thing I like about Chris is that, he, you know, he's a guy that can sort of, you know, you have those people like your parents who can tell you don't do drugs and the, you know, all that, but you've never really seen your parents, you know, you know, hopefully you've never seen your parents struggling or strung out or missing their work or all that stuff. So when you got a guy that comes in like, like a, like a Chris Heron who can say. Hey, I was a big deal, just as big a deal and point to anybody in that room. I was a highly recruited guy, you know, played in the NBA, drafted in the NBA, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, you know, hung around the league for a couple of three years and then, you know, moved on and played all over the world. I can tell you the pitfalls of this. So I think from that standpoint, he definitely was great to come in. Kobe, though, I mean, I don't think when you look at somebody to register how to get after, you know, that whole Mamba mentality that he's known for. I think when you come in, I think they're going to respect. And you saw a lot of the Alabama players past and present, you know, tweeting about him in a picture. You can tell that had a huge effect on him. 
because Kobe was telling them, hey, you what you got to do to get to that next level is this. And, you know, that, you know, kids, both messages are equally important. But um, uh, I think it's a good mixture there. Chris was certainly a guy. I mean, they was at a, I don't they did a documentary on him. I don't know if it's a 30 for 30 or what it was, but it was really good. Um, so, yeah, those two stand out right off the top of my head. You're right, though, about Kobe, because it's one thing for a speaker to resonate with the players. But when you've got coaches and support staff tweeting out pictures of Kobe, I mean, that tells you how all encompassing the guy was in, in terms you know, of thing, uh, impactful thing, figure. When you listen to a, thing, a guy like Kobe, you know, this is a guy who's more talented than you, who's taller, can jump higher. He's got everything physical better than you if you're sitting in that Alabama room. And then he's telling you he's outworking you. I mean, that's some intimidating stuff. That's some motivating stuff for a guy to know, hey, I'm talented, but I still got to work hard. I got to get after it every day of my life to work hard and push it. I think that's the kind of stuff that young players respect, you know, because it's easy for me to go, hey, I need to shoot 500 jumpers today to get a jump shot. And they're like, of course you do. You suck, you know. But with Kobe, Kobe Dutton's, Kobe's better than you. He's a better athlete. He's a more gifted athlete than, you know, almost anybody in the world. He's definitely in the the highest percentage there is. So I think that resonates with those young guys, you know, at 19 years old who come in, what, thinking they're the best athlete on the field. You know, they think they're the fastest guy in the class. And then you got, you know, Henry Ruggs running laps around, you know, you know, a little bit more to that real life angle. No doubt about it. And Herm Edwards, another one of those guys that we've seen come through. Yeah, Tuscaloosa. Uh, what about Mike Tyson? I mean, he would rank up there pretty there's highly. Actually been, there's the actually list. been, yeah, there's actually been some great ones. Yeah, these are these are some awesome. Hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, there's been some fantastic ones. Ray Rice with his domestic violence issues that cost him a career in the National Football League. He has addressed the Alabama football team. I mean, they don't go light. You know, they don't they, they go all in on these speakers. And uh, I think Boo AU brings up a good point there. Yeah, and you know, the thing with, you know, with Ray Rice is like I've never seen him feel sorry for himself. You know what I mean? I've never seen like he's owned it. Yeah, he's owned it. I made a mistake. I mean, probably based on everything we've seen since then, how many people have got a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance? I think that he probably should have got another chance based on that being a one-time deal. But, I mean, that I've never seen him whine. I've never seen him pout. He was in the prime of his career, you know. So, you know, you know, hats off to that guy. Obviously, he's changed and, and uh, you know, learn from that. You know, learn from that. So, yeah, another <laughs> that's another great guest speaker. Hey, Tim, we're more than an hour into this thing, so I guess we'll cut out. But we'll have continuing coverage for you, as always, right there on BamaOnline.com, certainly the roundtable or premium message board there at BOL is the place you want to be as well. Anything else, Tim, as we get out of here? Um, no, just, you know, love the podcast. Love you guys sending us those mailbags. Yep. And, uh, you know, looking forward to not only finishing this cycle, but really looking forward to the off-season discussion. You know, I'm looking forward to the to the discussions we have on here about, you know, everything Bama-related and, and leading on through the uh, you know major league, the NFL draft. I'm looking forward to. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff coming up. Yeah, we're transitioning into the spring sports. So you're going to have Alabama baseball cranking up, and I think three weekends here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama softball going to get things cranked up down in Tallahassee in a couple weekends. So between uh, finishing up a, a college basketball season, 
uh, spring sports getting underway, spring football on the horizon, the NFL draft, which is obviously going to be uh, heavily involved with, with some Alabama prospects. Man, we've got it every day of the week, 24 hours a day. Conversation for you right there on the roundtable at BamaOnline.com. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, hoping you have a great rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you again on T. Watts and TR coming up on Thursday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.